I'm Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is Angela Howard, and we're going to talk about her debut memoir, Sin Child, which is out March 31st. The memoir illustrates a tumultuous journey through childhood themes of survival, resiliency, and all kinds of other interesting topics I'm not going to give away, but I want to welcome to the show Angela Howard. Thank you, Janine. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I want to start off by asking you, Angela, was it really hard to put your story down on paper and did you find yourself kind of holding back? It was definitely difficult. Number one, I am not a writer. I was a nurse by trade. And uh, if you ask any English teacher I ever had, they would tell you the last thing that I would be was a writer. So I did not set out to write. And then the older I became and the more I started sharing little pieces of my story, uh, the more I started hearing, you should write a book. Mm. I happened to come across um, a professor at the University of Mississippi who was dean of the journalism department at the time. And he agreed. He said, oh, I think you should write a book. So starting the journey was... um, very tumultuous to say the least. I had no clue what I was doing. I started with a screenwriter uh, and that did, or ghostwriter rather, not a screenwriter. Um, That did not pan out very well at all. And I was encouraged just to keep on trying to write the book myself. And when I started writing, I would write a story and I would be really involved in the story, but I would realize at the end I had left out um, parts that were really crucial. I, it, I was almost sugarcoating what I was writing and, um, that didn't work out very well either. So it did take me longer to write the book than anticipated. And it, it did become increasingly harder, especially when we got into the editing portion of the story. Were you always writing in journals that you kept to yourself? Uh, after when I was 34 years old, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, Mm. commonly known as PTSD. Um, until that point I had been diagnosed with anxiety, um, depression, borderline personality disorder, and really had begun to thought I was a little crazy and had sought out a, a professional Lisa Epstein, a counselor, in the Tupelo, Mississippi area, because I thought something was mentally wrong with me. Okay. She had listened to me for about an hour and I wondered if she even heard anything I said. And at the end, she started pulling out brochures on PTSD. I immediately uh, told her I did not have PTSD as she could obviously see I had not lost a limb and I had not been to war. But after accepting, her diagnosis and being given the tools to actually deal with the problem and to try to start healing myself, I became a a different person. It's so interesting. I, I guess I ask all this because I feel that when a child has a traumatic childhood filled with emotional abuse, maybe even physical abuse, um, they see things that they can't really process and they come out later in life. It is PTSD. 
It is. And um, I did keep journals. I kept journals mainly in the form of homework assignments that were given to me by my therapist at the time. And I did later use those journals in writing the story. I did not write the story chronologically. I had a wonderful mentor, Neil White, who is a New York Times bestselling author of In the Sanctuary of Outcast, who coached me along and I would get stuck and hit a writing, writing block and call him and say, I can't do this anymore. This isn't for me. He would tell me to come into the office, let's chat. And he would ask me about growing up or different stories in my family. And I would, I would talk to him just like we're talking now. And at the end of the conversation, he said, he would always say, now go home and write this. Mm. Yes. You know, you should have done, you should have recorded yourself. I, maybe, I, maybe you did till you wouldn't re- forget those key things. I actually did record myself at times and I have found it very difficult to go back and hear Mm -hmm. um, me actually discussing it with someone else for the first time, because I recorded some of mine and Neil's conversations. Okay. And it's been pointed out to me that the book, the writing is very raw. I was just going to use that word. I was (laughs) going to say raw and vulnerable. Yes, very. And that was intentional. I did not, like I said, I had started writing the story and I found myself sugarcoating things and it really took away from the story. Um, I worked with a story editor after I completed the the initial draft of the memoir and she brought out in me things like, how did you get through this? How did you feel going to sleep that night? Mm -hmm. How did you feel waking up that morning? Or she really made me dig deep to bring the story to life a little bit and actually bring my feelings to life on paper. And it isn't a sugar-coated story and it, it, it wasn't an easy life. I've, I've heard a lot that this is not an easy read and it wasn't meant to be an easy read. It was meant to be a profound read. Got it. And probably helpful for someone else who's going through something like this. I think it would be very helpful and that was the main reason I wrote the book. Um, toward the end of, uh, or I should say right before publication, um, initial publication in March of 2020, which we all know what that was like, Yeah, the pandemic. Um, right. uh, about a year before that, I had started getting sick. And um, I was diagnosed with multiple autoimmune disorders and ultimately um, demyelinating disease of my central nervous system Mm. and have, I'm now being treated. I I take chemotherapeutic agents. Um, I'm treated at Mayo Clinic and I have a a team of doctors here in Memphis, Tennessee, where I live. So that's what my life is. But I found it very interesting that when, when writing and pulling out my feelings during the editing portion, I learned of ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. And even though I had been diagnosed with PTSD, I had never heard the term ACEs. Me neither. Well, ACEs is, um, uh, it was a study done uh, at Kaiser Permanente in 1997. A 10-question questionnaire was administered to around 17,000 participants. These were all uh, middle to upper class uh, individuals with whose parents or themselves were working at Kaiser Permanente. And it showed that 34.8% of those people 
in the study had three or more ACEs. 17% of those in the study had four or more ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. Wow. And what I found was when you have ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, you and you're going through something tragic, you go through the fight or flight response process, which most people have heard of. Yes. And that process is given to us for um, survival. Um, our bodies are created, created to have the fight or flight process. You have the hypothalamus, the pituitary and the ad adrenaline um, all working together to allow you to be able to survive in um, a turbulent situation. However, that, that whole process that at least releases all of this adrenaline and cortisol is only meant to be used occasionally. So the more you go through that, the more adrenaline and cortisol pumps through you and it, it, it affects your veins, it affects your cardiovascular system, it affects your lungs, it, and especially from the ages of zero to 18, it affects the way your brain is wired. Makes um, sense. It, it, it is. And now I contribute, you know, my own um, disease processes to that. I actually created a foundation, the PTSD ACE Foundation, while I was writing this book, uh, just, just because of that. That's amazing. Because, I mean, I looked at this, I thought, what is ACE? Oh, adverse childhood experiences. And I can see how, I mean, I have realized that emotional wounds have triggered physical uh, issues in my body. Yes. Tremendously. Uh, yeah. Factually, individuals with four or more ACEs are at increased risk for seven out of the 10 leading causes of death in the United States. Mm. Uh, that includes heart disease, stroke, suicide, Alzheimer's, cancer, and diabetes. Are you able to just give me some examples of Adverse childhood experiences. I mean, I can think of some of the extreme ones, but are there some that, you know, are at the top of your mind? Absolutely. There's uh, mental abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, abuse, living with a parent who has a mental illness or a drug dependency. Okay. Or living with a parent or having a close relative be incarcerated. Wow. And the highest A score you can have is 10. And I actually have an A score of a 10. My A score is 10. Unbelievable. Um, a scores, uh, people with six or more A scores, it has scientifically has shown to lead to an approximately 20 year reduced life expectancy. I feel like what happens is that this stuff that you've been through, it doesn't necessarily come out early in life. It comes out when you're an adult. It does. And that's something I never knew. Uh, and especially while writing the book and what led to the book, I, um, I thought as I got older, the flashbacks, the triggers, the nightmares, I really thought since I was no longer in those situations and had actually put myself in a very good spot in life mm -hmm. and was much healthier mentally, I thought all of those things would start to diminish. And right. I found that they were not diminishing and some, some were only getting worse because I had extreme anxiety, not knowing why I couldn't get rid of these 
these thoughts from my childhood. Yeah. Well, they're haunting. And I remember as a child having eczema, impetigo, heap more, more eczema. Like whenever I was really stressed, I just had this chronic issue with my skin and I was always sick. I was so sick all the time. So I missed a lot of school. So that meant I was behind in school. I was just kind of an emotional, physical train wreck. I believe that. I can remember having a sore throat constantly. I do not remember much of a time in my life where I didn't have a sore throat. Wow. Mm. So when you have multiple autoimmune disorders, is eczema or psoriasis one of them? Uh, It is not. I actually, I have lupus. Oh. I have a disease called Sjogren. It's spelled S-J-O-G-R-E-N-S, Sjogren syndrome. I have rheumatoid arthritis. And uh, the lupus has caused the, the lining of my nerves to, to become lessened and thinned out so that it has affected my central nervous system. And I actually had a, a TIA, a small stroke, in uh, the fall of 2019. Oh, my gosh. How are you now? I was 41 years old. Um, I, I have recovered well from it with, with few um, deficits. I was very lucky. And of course, being a nurse uh, took all the right measures by getting to the emergency room in time and, and those things. Oh my gosh. Um, now, I, I've heard that things like lupus and arthritis, they're inflammatory diseases, right? Yes. So do you have to adjust your diet for those issues? <laughs> you know, Janine, I have to adjust everything. I have to yeah. adjust my diet. And once a, once a week, I take uh, an, an injection that has to be administered to me. It's a chemotherapeutic agent. So it makes me very sick <gasps> for about 48 hours every week. So I adjust my schedule. I, I, I adjust my entire schedule around my shot. Wow. And I, inju- I adjust... Um, my life, my social life. Um, I now, I'm a medically retired now due to my autoimmune disorders. So I'm no longer working as a nurse mm-hmm. and that was not intended. So that was a, another major issue. I thought I would be a nurse or work as a nurse forever. Yes. And I'm hoping to now do it through the foundation in the book. I'm hoping to oh, be able good. to reach and help heal through this now that I was forced into early retirement. Um, you probably told me this at the beginning, but you take the chemo for, for which issue? Um, it actually is a, a, for, for the rheumatoid arthritis and for the lupus. It's supposed to calm my immune system down. So it, Got it. it suppresses my, immuno, uh, my Got immune it. system. Got it. Uh, also, do you find that uh, doing things that are anti-inflammatory does help in some way? Uh, they do. I'm on okay. a host of other medications, as you can imagine. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah. yeah, so so far, it's, um, I'm, I'm very lucky to have the team I have here in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm, I'm very lucky I do not live in a rural area because exactly. a lot of individuals are, are faced with that on top of everything. Sure. When did all this come out with the lupus and the arthritis as an adult? It did. I started getting sick in 2018. And um, in 2019, early 2019, I was diagnosed with lupus and was referred to a rheumatologist. And from there, I was diagnosed with all of the other diseases. And uh, she diagnosed me with Sjogren and uh, rheumatoid arthritis. 
then I was sent to Mayo Clinic because it seemed that my reflexes were getting really bad. I was having some falls and um, she felt like something in my nervous system was going on. And at Mayo Clinic, I was diagnosed with demyelinating disease of the central nervous system. How did you manage to stay positive when you were faced with all this? I mean, how did, how did you, you decide, Hey, I have the energy to write a book, you know, I mean, that's incredible, Angela. Well, luckily I had finished writing the book in 2016 and went through the story editing process and, and at the end of 2016 and first part of 2017, Okay. And we were already into the publishing process at that time. But it's it's interesting you asked that because it made me think even more that I um I have a tendency to to push things out and overfill my plate. Mm. And that's I no think, good. I think I'm coping with my illnesses the way I coped with my childhood. Uh. my therapist had uh, an interesting perspective. She compared it to stacking pancakes. She would tell me, you know, Angie, you, you have this on your plate and I'm going to call it a pancake. And then okay. you, you put another pancake on and then you put another pancake on. You're keeping yourself so busy that you're wearing yourself out. I was yeah. keeping myself busy with, you know, volunteering at my children's school for different things, working two to three jobs. I actually coached my children's up lead basketball team. I was as an assistant Girl Scout leader and I believe I did all of those things to push out the hurt and anger um, that I had and also to help deal with my anxiety. And I, I feel like I have done this with my illnesses in another sense. I'm not able to work and hold down jobs right now, but right. I do try to fill my time with, um, when I feel like it with research and doing what I can to help others from afar. I think that's great. And, and helping others is a way to really give yourself a little bit of optimism. It is. It is. It, it really helps. You know, Janine, I worked as an RN supervisor in an inpatient psychiatric adolescent facility for five years. Mm -hmm. During that time, I was responsible for over 1,500 children. Whoa. These children were all diagnosed with uh, intermittent explosive disorder borderline personality disorder, anxieties, um, just a, a host of diagnoses. And at the time I had not been diagnosed with PTSD and definitely was not aware of ACEs and the effects of ACEs. And we put these kids in seclusion rooms. We gave them pharmacological restraints. We put them in personal restraints. We really did everything backward. We made them worse instead of better. Okay. And after thinking about it, um, after writing the book and, and learning more about ACEs, knowing these children's life stories, like I knew them as their caregiver, I would say that about 90% of those children should have been diagnosed with PTSD, which yeah. would have led to a much different course of treatment. You bet. Yes. So interesting. I, I do want to touch on your title of your book, uh, yes. the, the term sin child. Uh, tell me about that. So when I was 15 years old, I had moved back in with my mother out of no other option, basically. And after about three months of being there, I realized that 
it wasn't going to work. My mother had always told me that point blank, she did not want me, that I ruined her life and oh. that, that she did not want me. She did always keep my brother and sister. Um, but when I moved back in with her, she made it very clear to me on a daily basis that she, she definitely meant what she said. And my dreams of her not meaning that were pretty shattered. But at 15, I knew I had to find somewhere to live. Um, I stayed with my grandmother and my great-grandmother a lot. Mm -hmm. I stayed with uh, different families a lot. And I had always been threatened with being put in what they referred to as an orphanage. Okay. And I had a fear of going to an, an orphanage or going into state care. And I thought, well, you know, it had been a while. It had been about five years since I had last seen my father. And I asked her one day, I said, you know, mom, where's my dad? And she looked at me and she said, who are you talking about? Okay. And so I have to, let me interject something. So were you the, were you the oldest child? Yes, I was the okay. oldest. I want to just paint this picture. So perhaps you're the oldest child. She had a relationship with your father. She couldn't stand your father. So she hated you. Yes. I, I, I believe, I believe, am I right? I believe that definitely sums yeah. it up. Yeah. I do. Yeah. So, you know, I, I told her, well, Eddie Leach, you know, I literally looked at her at 15 and said, duh, Eddie Leach. And she told me, she said, you know, he's not your father. Wow. And he went on to tell me that my father was dead. He had been murdered mm -hmm. and that my grandparents were of the Mennonite religion and that she had tried to give me to them when I was five years old. And they rejected me because they said I was a sin child. Oh, because she never married your father. Yes. Which my mother had a, a very long history of lying. Yeah. And uh, you never knew what to believe. So I thought, nope, this is probably just another lie. And why would someone call me a sin child? Right. But she told me not to even bother with finding them because they, they definitely didn't want me. And I, I didn't until about a year later when I was living on my own, finding places to stay. Uh, I reached out to them. I, I, I was at a friend's house and her mom found out that I really did not have a place to stay. I was kind of crashing at their house. And she made a phone call and found who would be my grandfather, my father's father. Wow. And they did meet with me. And ultimately it came out and I asked them, you know, because it, it was very clear from day one that they also were not accepting of me. And you know, that's so awful and abusive. I mean, to be sitting in your shoes and to be the recipient, recipient of all this negativity that was not your fault. You're right. It, and it, it wasn't fair to me as a child. Yeah. Unfortunately, as a child, your brain is not developed enough to understand that. Right. And my grandparents one day, you know, uh, I was actually living with them fast forward a, a couple of years and um, I'd been in, a ho in the hospital for about a week and learned quickly that when you're discharged from the hospital, when you're 17 years old, you have to have one sign you out. Right. So I did have a Mennonite aunt and uncle who were very kind to me Nice. and they wanted to take me home with them. But in, in the Mennonite religion, there's a hierarchy and the male of the family rules. So the father of the entire family would rule no matter how, how old the children were. 
my grandfather stepped in and said, you know, she will influence, she's worldly, she will influence your children and she can't go home with you. So she will go home with us. So they signed me out. They would speak a different language around me. They spoke Dutch, German, even though English was their, their primary language. When I would come into the room, they would speak Dutch, German, but I, I asked them one day, did you, did my mom really try to give me to you? Okay. And did you call me a sin child? And my grandfather said, yes, you are. He said, you were born out of wedlock to two very sinful people. And that's exactly what you are. Uh, but, but think about that. It doesn't make you a sin child. It, it, you have two parents that were toxic and now that he's blaming you. And it's like, great. Thanks for that emotional trauma. Exactly. And now yeah. I can actually thank him for the wonderful title as well. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, in the end, goodness wins. That's how I always look at it. I like that a lot. I mean, it's true. I mean, the problem is you internalized all of this verbal nonsense that was thrown at you and it made you sick. My feeling. Yeah. It did. Literally sick. Yeah. Ugh. I'm so sorry. I mean, that's, I mean, but it's what you're doing by sharing this with the world is, is also very healing because there are people who find um, similarities in what you're saying. I've gotten that a lot. Um, I've been pleased with some of the strangers who have reached out to me through Facebook mostly and have opened up about their story and, you know, I'm, I'm so happy for all of those people who reach out. I'm so happy for the people who can be touched by the book, because like I said, it, it wasn't mean, meant for entertainment yeah. necessarily. Although there are some entertaining stories in the book, um, it, it was meant to help others. Yeah. I, I also f- feel strongly through my own experience that not having growing up with a loving relationship with my own mother, you might think you're okay, but later on in life, you kind of break down and realize you've been suppressing. Yes. And that alone can cause physical illness right. that you were unable to control. Yes. Yeah. And I think it can cause mental illness in some people too, because they can't quite figure out why their life isn't working. And it comes down to this basic foundation that was never there. That's true. And uh, a lot of times, I mean, luckily there, there are many people who have, you know, their, their genes have tipped to the resiliency side and they're resilient enough to keep going and trying like you, like myself. Um, But statistically, 74% of the people in the United States who are incarcerated have four or more ACE scores and 52% of those incarcerated have six or more ACE scores it a lot of times leads to a life of violence and crime and, you know, such injustice mm-hmm. in, in a lot of social ways. So Angela, let me ask you this, and then we have to wrap up soon. I could completely see you being uh, some kind of personal coach. I mean, maybe not that you're going to go back to school and become a psychologist, but I feel like you have so much to offer, especially younger people, or I shouldn't even say that, really anybody, especially adults, 
have you ever thought about in unison with your book, using this as the next chapter of your life, doing this even part-time working with people that are struggling? You know, I have Janine that, and that's why I started the PTSD ACE foundation Good. to be able to um, help others through that. We are a nonprofit organization, a 501 C three. You can find us at www.ptsdaced.org. Mm-hmm. There, um, there's a lot of information on the website. You can email us off of that website and we will respond to you. And I do hope that, that people see the need for speakers and such. And, and I do hope to make this the next chapter of my life and to be able to speak and, and help others and through the book and through the foundation. Because I'm sure you miss nursing, but I think this was meant to be. I think that unfortunately your health took a turn for the worse, but I think this is going to give you another opportunity to open a door that you probably didn't expect. Absolutely. I, like I said, I never would have expected to, um, to write a book, much less have a, a book published. Right. Um, and, or, or to be starting a, a, a nonprofit organization. I, d- I didn't grow up saying, oh, hey, I want to, I want to have a nonprofit organization, but both of them have been such tremendous learning experiences for me. And, you know, I, ho- I do hope to continue the work and I hope that the book continues to touch others. Absolutely. Uh, so can you give your website one more time for people to find you? Sure. Um, that is www.ptsd. A C E D as in dog, PTSDAced.org. Great. Angela, I have really enjoyed getting to know you. I want to thank you for being so candid and open and, and sharing your life experiences with the world. Thank you so much for having me, Janine. It has been a pleasure talking with you. You too. Thanks so much. Thank you.